0: I have to go so far down that process where I am like sitting on the ledge with my legs dangling over. Like, are we going to do this or not? Like, it is very instinctual. Is it fear that I'm going to be driven by or do I just really have the gusto to do that? That exact feeling is, I think, how I get myself to make a decision.
1: I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin.
2: Today, my guest is Jen Wong. Jen is the COO of Reddit, and she has over a decade of experience as an executive in the digital media space, working at companies like Pop Sugar and Time Inc. Jen joined Reddit in 2018, and now she is best known for leading business growth and advertising on the platform. Thanks to her leadership, Reddit's ad revenue has scaled to well over $100 million. And this year, she was named number one on Fast Company's Queer 50 list, which honors LGBTQ plus women and non binary leaders across many industries, including tech and business. Jen, welcome to 9 to 5 Thanks for having me. Thrilled to have you. We like to start the show with a lightning round. Quick questions, quick answers. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. So first of all, I'm not going to say... Do you work from home? Because right now I'm hearing like babies in the background. You're hearing my (laughs) husband in the kitchen. Like we're just both making it work. So true. (laughs) So I I appreciate uh, kind of the joint mutual background noise. So, first, what is the first job that you ever got paid for?
0: I worked in accounting at the Planning Fields Arboretum here on Long Island, where I batched credit card payments when people bought tickets to the shows. It was uh, (laughs) a. It was pretty miserable, and I was not good at it.
2: Okay, fair. Good Good to know what you're good at. Do you have any secret hobbies?
0: I have a lot of hobbies. That's actually my problem. And the secret is I'm a light hoarder as a result. Let's see, collecting old cameras, avid vegetable gardener, crossword puzzler and general kind of puzzler as well, rock concert goer, a little less now these days, but as a result, a concert t-shirt collector. Uh, I, I have a lot of stuff.
2: Favorite concert tee?
0: I love my like Sleater Kinney one from college. I have Madonna ones from, I think it was like 97, the girly show. That was really good. Like that one. I keep all of them in a box for my sons. Cause I, I think they're going to appreciate them and feel like they're
2: the coolest kids, but I could be wrong. Love it. What's the last concert you went to? Good
0: question. I was at the time 100 and I saw Mary J and that was, she was pretty great.
2: That's a pretty good one. Are you an email person or a meeting person?
0: I'm a phone call person. So I guess meeting by phone.
2: Oh, like old school phone call. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Who is in your group chat? Oh,
0: uh, right now I'm spending a lot of time with my neighbors. I've got a great <laughs> community on Long Island. And then I, I've got, I've got too many group chats. I can't keep up with <laughs> them. I kind of like it
2: what is your favorite subreddit?
0: Oh, I have a lot. I'm deep in vegetable gardening. Because I have all sorts of issues with my vegetable garden right now.
2: I'm having some issues with my tomatoes. So maybe I got to get in on that subreddit.
0: Yeah, you, you should. It's really good. I also love the pride that everybody shows in, when, when they do their harvest. <laughs> but this year it's been very dry on Long Island and uh, it's killing my cucumbers.
2: Oh, I'm so sorry to hear.
0: <laughs> sorry to hear about your tomatoes.
2: <laughs> my my thoughts are with you. Um, all right, we're going to we're going to jump uh, jump in. So, I love diving into this question that I'm about to ask you because my favorite thing is to interview successful people like yourself that identify as introverts. And I am somebody that also identifies as like I was an introverted kid. So, you have spoken publicly how you were a pretty introverted kid and leadership wasn't necessarily like on your mind. So, Tell me what Jen is like as a child.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was I was an only child. I grew up on Long Island, actually, and I had parents who immigrated here and I spent a lot of time alone. I was I was very independent. Both of my parents worked. They went to work before I got up and I came home by myself in the afternoons. I think I was a latchkey kid that is at an age that is not legal now. And uh, as a result, watched you know six seven hours of TV a day from three o'clock till nine o'clock. But did all my homework in front of it. Was very responsible. I was really shy. I was scared of adults. I could never understand kids who could just talk to adults um, because they seemed like such authority figures to me. And uh, I just had a lot of projects, a lot of art, a lot of drawing, a lot of music. But I changed as I got into middle school and high school, and I made friends, and I sort of discovered the. Wonderful world of friends. I really changed and they became such a big important part of my life where friends are like family now. I sort of became extroverted. I you know it's funny my wife always says, "I can't believe you clock as an introvert in Myers-Briggs and that you were like that when you were younger. It seems incomprehensible because you get so much energy from other people now." I think that is true, but in the end I think if it isn't people I like know and love really well then yeah, and, and I probably revert to my introvert tendencies.
2: The reason that I love, and we've had many introverts, or maybe say even former introverts on this show, who then become these very public-facing, high profile leaders. There's like such a dichotomy between what you have to do for your day job and your career and, and the brand of, of Jen Wong and what you're describing as kind of your natural state. How do you think about like those two sides of the coin?
0: Yeah. Well, I know that certain things are always going to be harder for me, so it's going to take me more preparation and more energy to do. Public speaking in front of a lot of people, that takes more energy for me, and I still am a little scared of it. It's not my favorite thing to do, and it's it's not natural to me. and requires more practice.
2: What do you do? I mean, like, how do you prep for that?
0: I practice a lot. I, I write everything down, not verbatim, but like bullet points, And I sort of have the dialogue in my head a lot. Like I can hear what I'm saying and I really practice it before I, before I speak. And so it's just so deeply internalized uh, when I have to do that. That's something that I've gotten, I've gotten better about, but that's hard. And I think the other piece is, I think over time, I've just sort of mentally prepared myself to say, look, this is, you know, I'm going to a conference or whatever it is. And this is just going to be full on people, nine to nine, three days, and just know that. And then know after that, that I just need to completely decompress from that because it has such a big impact on me. Right.
2: You're speaking my language. I did that last week and I literally had to sleep all day on Saturday. So (laughs) I get it. You have a lot of degrees, And you have had some major positions in corporate America as well. Where do you feel like given all your roles and all kind of your life experiences, you actually got your quote unquote business education? Good question. I think
0: the biggest accelerant to my career and my business knowledge and confidence was working at McKinsey. It was working in consulting. And I think the reason why is because one you get to peek under the hood of all of these different companies. And so you learn, you get this compare contrast, which would normally take five jobs to do, right? Different cultures, different kinds of leadership, different business problems. Like it's sort of this accelerated view of the business world. And then the second is, I think the skill set that I got from that, which I find really important today. And I often say to people, I think this is a really important skill is the ability to take an ambiguous question or a problem and just feel comfortable structuring some way to solve it. And I find that so many business questions, especially ones where you're trying to build something new, they're really amorphous and they're hard. They're almost so daunting because they're so open-ended, but just the confidence of, I have, I have a methodology and a way to figure that out, to get to a place where I can make a decision. Because in the end, leadership is so much about making good decisions, right? You're not going to make them perfectly well, but you have to make them frequently and big ones and not hold up the organization. And that can be hard when when things are ambiguous or open-ended.
2: For those that are listening that might not be going to business school or getting the consulting job and going on that track, what is your advice of like how to develop that acumen, that decision-making muscle? I would say a a couple
0: things like one, I would look for people who are your leaders who are good decision makers and how they do it. And people have different methods. Like over time, I've adopted different ways. Right. So we now we've adopted this method of like decision documents where you thoughtfully write everything down and have sign off and conversation in it, which I think has been great for allowing both introverts and extroverts to kind of share in giving feedback. And that was a big learning lesson. The other piece I would say is for yourself, try to be very clear on your first principles and your data. So you always want to be fact-based, collect all the facts that get you there. And the second is understand the principles that never change in how you make decisions, either about your product or your customer or whatever it is. And that usually is an extremely helpful guidepost that allows you to make high quality decisions for your business.
2: So somebody on your team, what is your advice around how they should move ahead in their career and get get to that next title or or that next promotion?
0: This is what I often say. Like there's the formal process every year where you get evaluated. This is your opportunity to make your case formally. I set a goal to do these three things. I accomplished these three things. These are the things that I was told I needed to do to develop, to go to the next level. I think I'm ready based on this fact base. Like, obviously that is really important. And I think structuring it that way in a very, you know, structured fact-based, clear way is really important. And what are the things I need to do? Let me demonstrate how I've done them, present that case, et cetera. The second thing that I think is much more soft and amorphous is, you know, I often say that your reputation is also determined by the stories that people tell about you, right? The stories they say about what Jen has done and et cetera, and how they perceive you and like, what's she really like? And did she really do that? And so it's really important, I think, to be surrounded with an informal network of people who are aware of your work in a way that is not, hey, this is a piece of paper. Let me just remind you of all the things I did, but is important to like demonstrate in front of them and have that conversation where, you know, it's outside of the formal process, but is clear about what you've been working on and what you've been doing. And I think both of those two things coming together is typically what drives momentum in people's careers.
2: That's really good advice. I've also read about something about you that I also really resonated with, which is that you describe yourself as a very gut led person. Talk to me a little bit about that. What do you mean?
0: I really have a hard time going against my intuition. And that doesn't mean I'm not fact-based. I mean, I'm all about the facts for sure. But I have a hard time, especially on decisions that involve myself, going against my intuition. This is true of career decisions. I think that's a great example. I can think of very rational moves that you could logically make that just something in me says, hey, you know what? this isn't right. Uh, it doesn't feel right. Like I've tried this shoe on and something about it doesn't feel right. And I'll say no to, even though I think people will be surprised by that. And, um, and so certainly on big personal decisions, I never go against my gut. I think in the workplace, I'm also pretty intuitive. I think this goes to that discussion earlier about ambiguous decision-making. So when you have an open-ended problem and you don't have all the facts and data in front of you, but you still have to make a decision, I'm pretty good about making a decision and then just executing against it. Like I don't sit and question myself. I don't agonize over it for too long. I just sort of make it and I figure we'll correct it.
2: By the way, that is a very big gift. Do you realize what a gift it is that you don't have to I think I've I've
0: appreciated it more and more over time.
2: What's like the most recent example, or not even recent. Is there an example of when in business you followed your gut when everyone else was telling you to do something different and you stand by that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, almost every year in the things we invest in, sometimes I think those come up where we have disagreements about how much to invest or where to invest in something. And there might be a thread that... I feel very strongly about that might be counterintuitive to other folks. By the way, it's not like you can't change my mind. You can change my mind, but I have to feel it. Like I have to feel like, okay, I've really fundamentally gotten on board and my intuition or et cetera has changed along with it. So it is possible to change. It's just that the whole package has to go along with it.
2: Put me like, like literally put me in the moment because I think people either totally understand what you're saying, or like, that is so not how I operate. Like, I can't even relate. What does it literally feel like to hear from your gut? What does that experience?
0: Yeah. The way I describe it is I'll I'll describe to you, like looking at a new career opportunity. It's like very clear in my head, right? To me, it's like, I have to go so far down that process where I am like sitting on the ledge with my legs dangling over. Like, are we going to do this or not? Is it fear that I'm going to be driven by or do I just really have the gusto to do that? That exact feeling is, I think, how I get myself to make a decision. And I I really regret it because I pushed myself all the way to that feeling of, okay, are you going to be guided by fear and be okay with it or are you going to be guided by risk today?
2: So I'm somebody, as I said, when I started going down this path, like I really identify with that. I'm a very gut led person, but there have been moments in, in my life and you know personally and professionally when if I felt under a tremendous amount of stress, I was like, I can't locate my gut. Or if I had too many cooks in the kitchen for advice, I'm like, I don't even know like where that gut went. And yeah. it, it, it was a very like, scary feeling. It's like, yeah. gut, I need you. How do you preserve that strength? Because it is a strength to be able to be somebody to have that strong relationship just like with yourself to know, to feel like this is the path. How do you preserve that while also like dealing with stress, getting feedback from others, having advisors, all of that? Yeah.
0: I, at some point, have to shut off all the conversations and the advice. I take it up to a point and then I just have to shut it off in order to have the peace and quiet to, to sleep on it. I mean, I literally need to sleep on it. That is one of the most powerful things that for me, Sleeping on things, I, I tend to wake up with a lot more clarity after a night of peace. I will shut people, I will shut off input. And it may take days to to come to resolution after doing that.
2: So you identify as a member of the LGBTQ plus community. You're a woman, you're a mother, you're an Asian American, you're a New Yorker. How does your experience of holding each of these identities inform? how you lead your people, especially in, in these last few years.
0: I love being at the intersection of these communities. I mean, the, number one, it, for the places I've worked, they've generally been very vibrant communities and they're fun. They're part of, I think, what makes the workplace just really like interesting for me. The second is, I think that it actually helps me, I think, do a better job in my you know, day job because I have a lot of different people in my life. Graduating from college and sort of living in the New York gay subculture to, I don't know, Valley neo-libertarians. Like, I've got a wide range of people in my life that I feel like I can get along with and negotiate. And I think that's really good, actually. And I think I have a really pretty deep empathy for a lot of different kind of people. Also, as I've grown older, I think I've become less judgmental, too. I have a sense of, like, hey, I can see the like, the arc of this person's narrative and story. And like, I get it. So I'll say a couple of things. I always assume good intent I come from that place, having that arc. And I believe most people are are good. And I think I believe they want diverse and inclusive workplaces. And so I come from that place when I talk to people and that I think helps me manage and realize that people have different priorities in their lives. I try to be really real about certainly my experience. And I'm not afraid to present a pretty different point of view sometimes. So just say, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable here. I'm just going to put something on the table that is maybe a little orthogonal or very orthogonal to what you think. And let's just see what happens. And just, I'm just going to put that out there. And I feel sort of lucky to be able to do that, but also comfortable doing that.
2: I want to talk about support systems. You have Had a lot of like high pressure jobs, you know, at AOL, like you oversaw multiple acquisitions at Reddit, like you came on and had to take the huge task of ramping up ad sales. And by the way, like we've been in a pretty crazy, (laughs) crazy news environment. I don't know if you're aware, but people have a lot of feelings on the internet. So, (laughs) you know, I imagine that's been a little bit stressful at times. So, what does your support system look like? Who do you go to to scream, cry, like be like, oh my God, can I just vent?
0: Yeah. Oh, I've got folks at work. Most of the people who are either my direct reports or Steve, like honestly, I'm very open with them. I'll say today's a bad day. I'm about to vent. Give me five minutes. I'll do it. (laughs) Uh, If you don't have that, I don't know how, I don't know how I would function at work. I'm lucky because I have a McKinsey partner built in and my wife at home. So we share a lot of you know, I think mutual understanding about business issues and workplace. And I certainly know what hers experience is like. So that's also really helpful. But I'll tell you, for me, my shutoff valve is obviously the kids in the family. And that's just like a shutoff. I've got a, almost one year old with an ear infection now, like that's full on. So, you know, like, it's an immediate cut in terms of thinking. And I would say that that's just a stress, you know, it's a stress inducer in different ways, but it is a work stress reducer because everything has to stop. And it's been a great, great forcing mechanism for me. And then I'd say like, for me, I do self-process a lot just in quiet, like for the process of cutting off, spending time with my family in the background, I think I'm still, I am still processing, but in a very much calmer way such that when I come back to something on Monday or two days later, I I almost always feel better about it.
2: If somebody could have, was building out their support systems, starting, you know, starting a new, entering the workforce, they're like, I need to figure out like, who are my circle? Who are, who are my people? Yeah. If you could have one person, (laughs) is it, I'm not, don't worry, I'm not asking you to name that person, (laughs) but is it the, is it the cheerleader? Is it the accountability partner? Is it, the one who challenges you? Like, what do you think is most important as like a foundation to that support network?
0: Oh, I think it's the the challenger for sure for me. I love talking to people about all sorts of things. And uh, most cases it's about what do you think and information, et cetera. But the highest impact people on my development and on my career have been the people who have given me very direct advice or feedback that is incredibly challenging. Like I had a friend say to me once, hey, you're about to start a new job. FYI, you always like to be, you know, like to think about the facts and make sure the strategy is right. Just make sure everybody's on board and really likes you too. Or, hey, don't make a decision too quickly. Just listen to people for a good 60 to 90 days before you say anything. Really, one advice where I think they know me so well, and they're like, "That's a little thing that she could get a little better on," and I'm just going to remind her. And those have made me much better along the way.
2: As a leader, and I, I say this too, like you get a lot of feedback. There's a lot of mechanisms to get feedback. You've had different roles, and I'm sure sh- you know we all have different themes to our feedback. Is there any feedback that you've gotten that you're like, you know what, like this is part of me?
0: Plenty. As much as I try to not be always on, I'm always on. And one of the consequences of that that's not good for the team is firing off that email on like Saturday. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not good. And it's not, it's, it really isn't urgent, but I'm not great at being clear. Like this is not urgent. It's just that thought went in my head and I wanted to get it out then. And so I have, I have a little bit of this urgency to like get the thoughts out as soon as they come in. So that's one. That's a work in progress. Always. The second is I think because I have that urgency of like the idea, et cetera, I could probably be more ruthlessly prioritized because that list is always growing of of things that I wanna I wanna progress forward.
2: We're talking about mentorship and leadership, and I've uh, been in very nostalgic mood lately. I think it's because we had our skim tenure recently, but. I remember, and I don't even know if you remember this meeting you like years ago. Yes, maybe, like, first I remember. One. Do you remember? Yes. Okay, so we were at an event. I don't even remember the event, by the way, but we were at an event and like Danielle and I were like very shy. We didn't know anybody. And I think it was breakfast and we were like in the corner and you just came up to us and we're like, Hey, I'm Jen. What do you do? And it's funny. Cause I reflect on that and like I'm an introvert. Like I hate those, like those kinds of environments provide a lot of anxiety for me until I kind of get into my flow. And you, we just spent 30 minutes talking about you being an introvert. But I think back to like, you didn't have to come over and say hi. You were already, we just went through your resume, a very successful leader. And we were nobody at the time. And I find like that's really interesting because I'm like, do you find that you are reaching out to people or like sort of finding the other introverts in the room? Is that is that part of your leadership style? Because it was always like, I always liked you because I was like, you're the really nice person that said hi to us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Um, Yeah, I do actually. I think about that a lot. So I think in social situation, I used to come from a place of fear and now I come from a place of curiosity where I'm like, I wonder, like, I wonder what brings that person here or what do they do? Right. And that's one And the second is, I think I've now learned that from many random conversations I've had at conferences, whatever it is, I've had really like big, profound ideas sort of trickle through my mind related to work or personal reflection, and they can come from anywhere. So that curiosity has a reward to it, not all the time, but it has a reward to it in terms of your personal learning. So I'm just... It's still not easy for me. It still takes more energy. It's still not natural. like it it does take work to move myself to do that. But I think I come from less of a place of fear in general and more of a balance toward, okay, this could be fun. Like this could be it's like what I tell my son, like try something new. It could be your next pizza. He loves pizza. Like you don't <laughs> want to miss your next pizza, right?
2: You never want to miss your next pizza. <laughs> well, on that note, who is our next pizza? Who should we have on the show next? <laughs>
0: how about like Desiree Gruber?
2: I love Desiree. We have not had Desiree on. That is a good one to do. Okay. I'm going to text her. I
0: hey, think there's some great people out there.
2: I love that. Jen, such a pleasure to, to see you. Thank you so much.
0: Awesome. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with the Skim, where each week we're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday.